0: Section thirty-four of Guy Mannering. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Jines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Guy Mannering or The Astrologer by Sir Walter Scott Volume 2, Chapter 2. Here's a good world. Knew you of this fair work? King John julia mannering to matilda marchmont i must take up the thread of my story my dearest matilda where i broke off yesterday for two or three days we talked of nothing but our siege and its probable consequences and dinned into my father's unwilling ears a proposal to go to edinburgh or at least to dumfries where there is remarkably good society until the resentment of these outlaws should blow over he answered with great composure that he had no mind to have his landlord's house and his own property at woodbourne destroyed that with our good leave he had usually been esteemed competent to take measures for the safety or protection of his family that if he remained quiet at home he conceived the welcome the villains had received was not of a nature to invite a second visit but should he show any signs of alarm it should be the sure way to incur the very risk which we were afraid of heartened by his arguments and by the extreme indifference with which he treated the supposed danger we began to grow a little bolder and to walk about as usual only the gentlemen were sometimes invited to take their guns when they attended us and i observed that my father for several nights paid particular attention to having the house properly secured and required his domestics to keep their arms in readiness in case of necessity but three days ago chanced an occurrence of a nature which alarmed me more by far than the attack of the smugglers i told you there was a small lake at some distance from woodbourne where the gentlemen sometimes go to shoot wild fowl i happened at breakfast to say i should like to see this place in its present frozen state occupied by skaters and curlers as they call those who play a particular sort of game upon the ice there is snow on the ground but frozen so hard that i thought lucy and i might venture to that distance as the footpath leading there was well beaten by the repair of those who frequented it for pastime hazlewood instantly offered to attend us and we stipulated that he should take his fowling-piece he laughed a good deal at the idea of going a shooting in the snow but to relieve our tremors desired that a groom who acts as gamekeeper occasionally should follow us with his gun as for colonel mannering he does not like crowds or sights of any kind where human figures make up the show unless indeed it were a military review so he declined the party we set out unusually early on a fine frosty exhilarating morning and we felt our minds as well as our nerves braced by the elasticity of the pure air our walk to the lake was delightful or at least the difficulties were only such as diverted us a slippery descent for instance or a frozen ditch to cross which made hazelwood's assistance absolutely necessary I don't think Lucy liked her walk the less for these occasional embarrassments. The scene upon the lake was beautiful. One side of it is bordered by a steep crag from which hung a thousand enormous icicles, all glittering in the sun. On the other side was a little wood, now exhibiting that fantastic appearance which the pine-trees present when their branches are loaded with snow on the frozen bosom of the lake itself were a multitude of moving figures some flitting along with the velocity of swallows some sweeping in the most graceful circles and others deeply interested in a less active pastime crowding round the spot where the inhabitants of two rival parishes, contended for the prize at curling, an honour of no small importance, if we were to judge from the anxiety expressed both by the players and bystanders. We walked round the little lake, supported by Hazelwood, who lent us each an arm. He spoke, poor fellow, with great kindness to old and young, and seemed deservedly popular. Among the assembled crowd at length we thought of retiring why do i mention these trivial occurrences not heaven knows from the interest i can now attach to them but because like a drowning man who catches at a brittle twig i seize every apology for delaying the subsequent and dreadful part of my narrative but it must be communicated i must have the sympathy of at least one friend under this heart-rending calamity. We were returning home by a footpath which led through a plantation of firs. Lucy had quitted Hazelwood's arm. It is only the plea of absolute necessity which reconciles her to accept his assistance. I still leaned upon his other arm. Lucy followed us close, and the servant was two or three paces behind us. Such was our position when at once, as if he had started out of the earth, Brown stood before us at a short turn of the road. He was very plainly, I might say coarsely dressed, and his whole appearance had in it something wild and agitated. I screamed between surprise and terror. Hazelwood mistook the nature of my alarm, and when Brown advanced towards me, as if to speak, commanded him haughtily to stand back and not to alarm the lady brown replied with equal asperity he had no occasion to take lessons from him how to behave to that or any other lady i rather believe that hazlewood impressed with the idea that he belonged to the band of smugglers and had some bad purpose in view heard and understood him imperfectly he snatched the gun from the servant who had come up on a line with us and pointing the muzzle at brown commanded him to stand off at his peril my screams for my terror prevented my finding articulate language only hastened the catastrophe brown thus menaced sprung upon hazlewood grappled with him and had nearly succeeded in wrenching the fowling-piece from his grasp when the gun went off in the struggle and the contents were lodged in hazlewood's shoulder who instantly fell i saw no more for the whole scene reeled before my eyes and i fainted away but by lucy's report the unhappy perpetrator of this action gazed a moment on the scene before him until her screams began to alarm the people upon the lake several of whom now came in sight he then bounded over a hedge which divided the footpath from the plantation and has not since been heard of the servant made no attempt to stop or secure him and the report he made of the matter to those who came up to us induced them rather to exercise their humanity in recalling me to life than show their courage by pursuing a desperado described by the groom as a man of tremendous personal strength and completely armed hazelwood was conveyed home that is to woodbourne in safety i trust his wound will prove in no respect dangerous though he suffers much but to brown The consequences must be most disastrous. He is already the object of my father's resentment, and he has now incurred danger from the law of the country, as well as from the clamorous vengeance of the father of Hazelwood, who threatens to move heaven and earth against the author of his son's wound. How will he be able to shroud himself from the vindictive activity of the pursuit? how to defend himself if taken against the severity of laws which i am told may even affect his life and how can i find means to warn him of his danger then poor lucy's ill-concealed grief occasioned by her lover's wound is another source of distress to me and everything round me appears to bear witness against that indiscretion which has occasioned this calamity for two days i was very ill indeed the news that hazlewood was recovering and that the person who had shot him was nowhere to be traced only that for certain he was one of the leaders of the gang of smugglers gave me some comfort. The suspicion and pursuit being directed towards those people must naturally facilitate Brown's escape, and I trust has ere thus ensured it. But patrols of horse and foot traverse the country in all directions, and I am tortured by a thousand confused and unauthenticated rumors of arrests and discoveries. Meanwhile my greatest source of comfort is the generous candor of hazlewood who persists in declaring that with whatever intentions the person by whom he was wounded approached our party he is convinced the gun went off in the struggle by accident and that the injury he received was undesigned the groom on the other hand maintains that the piece was wrenched out of Hazelwood's hands and deliberately pointed at his body, and Lucy inclines to the same opinion. I do not suspect them of wilful exaggeration, yet such is the fallacy of human testimony, for the unhappy shot was most unquestionably discharged, unintentionally. Perhaps it would be the best way to confide the whole secret to Hazelwood but he is very young and I feel the utmost repugnance to communicate to him my folly i once thought of disclosing the mystery to Lucy and began by asking what she recollected of the person and features of the man whom we had so unfortunately met but she ran out into such a horrid description of a hedge-ruffian that i was deprived of all courage and disposition to own my attachment to one of such appearance as she attributed to him i must say miss bertram is strangely biased by her prepossessions for there are few handsomer men than poor brown i had not seen him for a long time and even in his strange and sudden apparition on this unhappy occasion and under every disadvantage, his form seems to me, on reflection, improved in grace and his features in expressive dignity. Shall we ever meet again? Who can answer that question? Write to me kindly, my dearest Matilda. But when did you otherwise— yet again write to me soon and write to me kindly i am not in a situation to profit by advice or reproof nor have i my usual spirits to parry them by raillery i feel the terrors of a child who has in heedless sport put in motion some powerful piece of machinery and while he beholds wheels revolving chains clashing cylinders rolling around him is equally astonished at the tremendous powers which his weak agency has called into action and terrified for the consequences which he is compelled to await without the possibility of averting them. I must not omit to say that my father is very kind and affectionate. The alarm which I have received forms a sufficient apology for my nervous complaints my hopes are that brown has made his escape into the sister kingdom of england or perhaps to ireland or the isle of man in either case he may await the issue of hazlewood's wound with safety and with patience for the communication of these countries with scotland for the purpose of justice is not thank heaven of an intimate nature the consequences of his being apprehended would be terrible at this moment i endeavour to strengthen my mind by arguing against the possibility of such a calamity alas how soon have sorrows and fears real as well as severe followed the uniform and tranquil state of existence at which so lately i was disposed to repine but I will not oppress you any longer with my complaints. Adieu, my dearest Matilda. Julia Mannering. End of volume two, chapter two.